Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show helps you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. What if I told you that you don't need a job, but that they need you to have a job? What if I told you everything you know about creative success is a lie? What if I told you that you are a prisoner of your own mind, trapped in ideas that you were told that's just the way it is? You're living in a simulation, Neo. Take the blue pill and leave this fake Hold on. Hey, wait a second. Is it the red or the blue pill? Right. Oh, oh man, I almost gave the one the, the wrong pill. That would have been a disaster. Take this red pill and see just how far the rabbit hole goes. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I'm one of the lucky ones. I entered a I entered full-time professional art right outside of college. It wasn't the medium I was hoping to be working in, but it's all I had. I was working in an art form known as sandwiches. I was a sandwich artist. What, what I'm trying to tell you is I worked at Subway. Uh, I was a subway artist and I hated it so freaking bad. I would I would shake in my prayers to the gods on the way on the bus ride home from my shifts. Please get me out of this weird smelling sandwich gallery where, the, where all the paintings are framed in Italian herbs and cheese bread. And then it happened. Something really good. The problem was that it wasn't something good for me. My best friend got my dream job right out of college. He was going to be working in-house doing creative work for Urban Outfitters. Now, I know that Urban Outfitters might not be that cool anymore, but 10 years ago, all the coolest, best, most interesting artists uh, that we were into were working for Urban Outfitters or had just worked at Urban Outfitters, and I was devastated. My friend, Rob, was an Urban uh, Urban Outfitters artist, verified, validated, approved, legit. 
I was a sandwich artist, a Subway sandwich artist. I was devastated. And you can judge me all you want. But you try to celebrate your friend's wins when you're drowning in Southwest sauce and refried meatballs. I was a sandwich artist, unverified, invalid, lame as it gets. To thicken the plot, my wife was pregnant with our first kid. And if things didn't change soon, I was going to be a sandwich artist dad, feeding my baby leftover big meaty tastes. <laughs> Let me explain. If you don't know, the most famous Subway sandwich is the BMT. Uh, it's got ham. It's got salami. It's got pepperoni. A more appropriate name for this sandwich might be an HMS, which <laughs> doesn't sound that tasty either, but... Uh, that it's actually called a BMT and it stands for big meaty taste, big, big meaty taste. No child should be raised on big meaty tastes alone. I'm pretty sure that's in the Bible. <laughs> One day on a big, on a break, I was drowning my sorrows in big meaty taste after big meaty taste. And I got a phone call. It was something possibly good. And this time for me, it was to pitch for an illustration job for the Sony handheld game system, PSP. I was doing an illustrated ad for them. And I thought, could it be? Could I be an artist verified by Sony? Could I be a Sony artist? This could change everything. I worked like a maniac on the pitch, but in the end, I wasn't chosen by the corporate gods of Sony. I was still unverified, invalid, lame. Just call me Andy big meaty taste Miller. A month or so passed. My first child was born after a very long, scary, intense labor. And when I held my baby in my arms for the first time, I thought, I will make millions of sandwich masterpieces if that's what it takes to feed this child. I mean, <laughs> I mean, don't worry, we didn't actually feed my infant big meaty tastes. I was 19 and stupid, but I wasn't that stupid. My daughter was breastfed. I just meant if sandwich art was the only thing I could do to pay the bills, then I would slang them sauces until the cows came. And then while I was holding my daughter in the hospital, the day she was born, I got another phone call. It was Sony. They changed their minds. I won the pitch. It was my first big illustration job, and this is usually where the credits roll. It's a big win. We assume everything changes. Artist is verified by the gatekeepers, and nothing is ever the same. But you know my story. If you've listened to this show very long at all, you know I had to struggle for two or three years after that. Years and years working for Google, Converse, Starburst, Sony several times, Urban Outfitters, and so on and so forth. Uh, I had to do all that stuff to really make any headway in my career. And actually, no matter how many big brands validated me, it's ultimately not what changed things for me. The Sony job was at best a drop in the ocean. And whether you've never had a quote-unquote big break or you've had 50 of them, my guess is that you know that a big break is never as big as you think it is. In fact... I don't think that things really changed for me until I started to transcend this mentality altogether. My true big break was realizing that waiting for my big break was holding me back. In this episode, I want to free your mind. You're a slave, Neo. I am your Morpheus. Now let's see just how far 
this rabbit hole goes. This episode kind of requires you to have had seen The Matrix, the movie The Matrix from 1999. So turn this episode off. Go watch it. Just kidding. Don't turn the dial off. You Look, I can explain The Matrix to you really quick. The guide character in the movie, Morpheus, says that no one can be told what The Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. But he's a liar who's manipulating you to take the pill against your will. It's actually pretty easy to explain The Matrix, and I can do it in like eight seconds. In the movie The Matrix, The Matrix is like this super hyper-realistic reality, uh, virtual reality simulation that we're plugged into, but get this, we don't know that we're in virtual reality. We think it's reality. We're living in a simulation. We think it's the year 1999, but it's actually something like 2199. Robots have taken over and are growing humans in fields, trapping them in this simulation called the Matrix and using them as batteries and little pods. I guess they say that the human body emanates some amount of gigawatts, 1.21 probably gigawatts of energy, and the robots are harvesting our energy while we're asleep in this matrix living out fake lives. So we think we're eating a steak, playing on the playground, and listening to our one gigabyte iPods, when actually we are the one gigabyte iPod for some robot. So that's it. That's basically it. You don't even need to take the red pill. Uh, Side note... Something I think a lot about is 1999 was like a way simpler time, and it wasn't even that long ago. And I remember when kids were all about iPods instead of eating Tide Pods, my life revolved around McDonald's instant hash browns instead of Insta hashtags. And the little grid of boxes that ruled our world wasn't apps on a phone. It was Ikea Expedit bookcases as far as the eye could see. You know what I'm saying. Anyway, back to The Matrix. Keanu Reeves, a.k.a. Neo in the movie, is the chosen one. The one who's supposed to be able to see the simulation for what it really is, computer code. It's fake. And rise above, and it said that when you see true reality and you see The Matrix as it really is, you'll be able to build the world to your will and basically do anything. There's just one problem, and they're called the agents. The agents are these sentient, sentient, sentient. I, I haven't been letting my nerd out long enough to say sentient with a straight face or with confidence, but some kind of robot program that looks like a government agent that can kick the crap out of the good guys, including Neo, the chosen one. And every mission the good guys do gets spoiled by these agents. And when the agents show up, the good guys know all they can do is run because the agents are so much faster and so much in control of the matrix that they, that every person that stood up against one of these agents has died. And Morpheus, the guide character, the kind of Yoda character, although he doesn't look anything like Yoda, uh, (laughs) calls the agents, the key holders of the matrix. They're the gatekeepers. And if, you, if Neo has a chance of saving humanity, he's going to have to get past these gatekeepers. At some point, he's going to have to quit running and fight them. But he can't do it until he really 
sees the Matrix as what it really is. The agents guard the gate that Neo needs to pass through to save his people. Now, most people probably don't know this, but The Matrix is like a literal interpretation of the book Simulacra and Simulation. Simulacra is a book on postmodern philosophy by a guy called Jean Baudrillard. Let's call him John Bo for the, pur- for the purposes of this podcast, partially because I'm just a simple Indiana boy and I have trouble saying French names like that with ease. And also partially because I just think it's funny to imagine John Bow as like a hillbilly uh, <laughs> writing this brilliant postmodern book. And the mom says, John Bow, get out here for dinner and quit worrying about them most modernisms. And he comes down the stairs. It's, it's postmodernism, mom. Gosh. Well, your butt's going to be postmodern in a minute because I'm going to kick it in the next week. Anyway, John Bow writes this book uh, and actually in the Matrix you can see the book it's like a little nod to the to what this thing's about at the beginning of the movie Neo is selling this like black market hard drive or something and he hides it in the book Simulacra in his apartment so anyway what is Simulacra Jumbo thinks that we live in a simulation not a robot, robot VR simulation in the way that they are in the matrix. He means that the way we think about reality is far from true reality. Because when we're born, we're given all these ideas and perspectives from the previous generation on the way things are before we ever have a chance to think about them for ourselves. He says that phrases like this, that's just the way it is, is a sign that you're being fed a simulation. Now, Stick with me for a minute. I'm going to explain this in a pretty simple way uh, if, if it doesn't already click with you. When you're told that that's just the way it is, that you have to go to school or get a job or pay your taxes, that's a simulation, a.k.a. not reality, because that's not just the way it is. The truth is that previous generations decided that that was the way it was going to be. And the truth is, when they tell you that, what they're really saying is, that's just the way we decided it was going to be before you got here. But if you think that you have a choice, or you, do, or you think it was a choice of theirs, and that they had a vote that you didn't get to participate in, you might not comply with the way that they agreed things should be and screw up their system. So they try to convince you, knowingly or unknowingly, that that's just the way it is. Here's my analogy for what I think John Bow means by this. This is the way I understand the fact that we're living in a simulation uh, plays out. So imagine being born is like showing up to a party late and all your friends agree to prank you and they all agree on something before you get there and they say, when you get there, they tell you, you know, that big living room uh, area rug <laughs> in the middle of it is a giant hole down to the basement so avoid walking on the rug like just go on the edge of the outside of the room or you're going to fall into the basement and the the truth is there is no hole 
They're all lying to you. They're laughing as you edge your way around the living room for the rest of the party. And that's what John Bo is saying. They're saying you're, you're living in such a way that's not based on truth or reality as it really is, but based on a simulation that you were given. And if you want to dive deep into this idea, this simulation idea, you can go check out episode 124 of the podcast, Philosophize This by Stephen West. He explains it really well. But if you want to know why this changes everything for you as a creative person and how learning to see the code, see the simulation that you've been given will allow you to transcend it and reach your highest heights. Keep listening. So why am I telling you, telling you all this? Why this giant setup? Because you're being held as a slave to the machine. Your number one obstacle is that you buy into a simulation that we're living in today as creative people. You're waiting to do your best work because your brain is not free from the simulation and you're playing into a code that's stopping you from doing your best work right now and transcending right now and connecting with people right now. Why? Because you think, and I do too, I'm still fighting this code you think you need to be verified by Urban Outfitters. You think you need to be a verified Urban Outfitters artist before things start to work, before you really give effort, before you really believe in yourself. All right, you probably don't, don't want to be a verified Urban Outfitters artist. I don't know if anybody wants that anymore, but secretly, you probably wouldn't mind having one of those shiny blue check marks on Twitter or Instagram. Look out, world, here comes a verified person. Think of the action you could get with that pickup line. You know, I'm verified on Instagram and Twitter. I'm going for the triple-double. I'm, I'm 2,000 subscribers away from being a YouTube silver creator. Sorry, I have no idea what the term triple-double actually means. I've never really fully watched a sports event of any kind, but I like the idea of it. I like the sound of going triple-double on social media. <laughs> but can you imagine getting a triple-double on these on these platforms, you'd be unstoppable. By the way, what do your grandma, Bill from Home Depot, and Jesus all have in common? They're not verified on Instagram. Maybe you don't care about Instagram verification, but I bet you want your TV show on Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network or Netflix. I bet you want your book published by Penguin or on the New York Times bestsellers list. I know I do. Honestly, I do. And I know it's why I have such a hard time making my best work. I want a publisher to approve and affirm that I'm good before, by giving me a book deal before I believe in myself enough to create my best work. Why do I feel like this? Why do I feel like, why do we feel like we need Cartoon Network before we make our kids show when we have a fully functioning media company in our pocket with a distribution channel built into it? Here's why. We're in the matrix. We're living in a simulation. Now, it's not a conspiracy. No one's tricking us, at least on purpose, as far as I think to believe. Uh, in fact, I would say that it used to be true. That's why it's such a pervasive concept. That's why it's so hard for us to transcend above it. It used to be true. You used to have a record, uh, have to have a record deal or a book deal to succeed. 
used to have to have a TV network to succeed. Used to have to used to not be able to create your masterpiece without the their backing and distribution, but not anymore. My studio mate Chris Graham told me this amazing analogy he had heard, and it perfectly explains this problem exactly. It said that if you line up sheep in a single file, like a bunch of sheep in a row, and make the first few jump over a broomstick, every following sheep will jump over that broomstick even when there is no broomstick. So 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, you needed a patron or a corporation to verify, validate, believe in you for you to make your best work. You have the resources to make your best work and connect with your audience. But you don't need it anymore. But we keep jumping over this broomstick. Well, guess what? There is no spoon. There is no broomstick. Unlike any other point in history, you don't need them to believe in you in order to make your best work. Now, to really transcend, you've got to unlearn this old way. You've got to unsee this believable simulation. And then and only then will you transcend and reach your full creative potential. It's not voodoo or rocket science. It's simply, it's, it, it's simple really. All you need to do is educate yourself, practice, get feedback, deliver, and repeat. Let me explain exactly how to put this into practice. next section <laughs> I just realized that this next section I have titled how to see reality <laughs> that's pretty lofty uh, Andy J pizza if I do say so myself and I've just made it worse by referring to myself in the third person I need to do something strange here just to humble myself like all right I feel better <laughs> let's do this next section all right, so you can know the truth on a cognitive level. You can see the simul. You can believe, or you can know that it's a simulation without believing in your heart and heart of hearts and really acting as if it's true. It's one thing to know you're in a simulation. It's another thing to to know that you can jump from one building to another without falling. So. You know there's no broomstick. I hope you do at least now. You don't need their book deal, their record deal, their publishing deal, their their distribution. You don't need any of that to make work that matters, that connects with an audience, that even earns you a living. In order to embrace the truth, you have to go through a lot of training. And there's three things that I think you got to do. And if you do these things over and over and over, you won't just know that there's no broomstick, you will believe it and you will act in it and you will be able to twist this world to your will instead of act instead of being trapped in theirs. Okay, first thing you got to do is learn Kung Fu. In the film, when Neo gets removed from the Matrix and taken into this gritty underground punk world that is reality, he's living in a spaceship of sorts underground with his with all these cohorts and he's got all these plugs all over his body including this giant massive socket in the back of his head 
and it's painful, but the team shows him that you can plug into programs like the Matrix through the hole in your head, through the hole in the back of your head, and they like slide a needle into his head. It's kind of sick and gruesome. But if you do that, you can actually download into your brain infinite knowledge. So in a matter of seconds, Neo learns an outrageous amount of martial arts techniques, including one he mentions when he with his famous line, I know Kung Fu. Now on the surf- surface, this just seems like a super cool sci-fi thing. But in reality, what this is really about, I think, what they're really telling us is, this is the world that we live in right now. It's telling us that Yes, it might be a little bit painful. It might be kind of a struggle. But you can actually plug in to the internet and learn anything you want today with, without anybody's permission. In the art world, there's this non-existent broomstick in almost every one of our minds, myself included, that you have to go to a big fancy art school to be a real artist. You have to have their degree, their validation, their approval to be legit. But the truth is these papers are a simulation. That degree, that certificate, it's a simulation and it's not unlike money. The way we have money today where the paper that we have in our hands, that's not backed by gold. It has no backing. It's purely just a concept in our mind that we're agreeing to. And these degrees are not backed by gold, so to speak. They're backed by self-preserving systems. If you go to a fancy art school and you leave it with tons of debt, and you go to a fancy job at a fancy newspaper, it's in your best interest to hire people from your institution to continue the idea that that paper degree is worth something, saying, you know, if you, if you, get, if you go to this fancy art school, you leave and get a fancy job, you're going to give opportunities to people that went to your art school so that you can be like, yeah, the great people come from here because it justifies the debt that you have. It, it justifies you're that institution and one really quick massive disclaimer i'm not in the slightest anti-art school in fact if if somehow you have scholarships or parents money to go to art school without amassing some giant crippling debt do it i think it's the best option today i think it's the best option for people in that situation there's there you know the concentrated experience that you can get from going to an art school is, from what I can tell from the outside, uh, a game changer. It's, it's really phenomenal. But what I'm saying is art isn't medicine and it's not law. The certificate is not a prerequisite for practicing at high levels. What is the prerequisite? Being great. And it starts with education. You can learn anything you want online with scrappiness and motivation if you believe that you can change yourself into a successful artist through this endeavor. You will do it. If you believe that no amount of self-education will ever make you as legit as a fancy art school person, you won't. Nearly every person that I meet, every creative person I meet, without a fancy art school education, feels defeated before they start. They feel like outsiders. They feel like phonies they feel less than here's my message to you i'm not surprised the simulation is designed to be self-preserving see beyond the matrix you are in control of your education everything you need to learn to be a great artist is available to you for free or for cheap online and that paper that validation it cannot and will not make you a great artist
after you learn kung fu, what do you got to do next? You got to bend some spoons. After you learn kung fu, after you go to books and online and whatever, and you start learning some stuff, you've got to go take it and train and use it in the real world. In the movie, once Neo has learned kung fu and he's learned everything you can put in his head, he has to go take that knowledge into the matrix and see if he really believes what he knows. One way to test this is by bending spoons. This is what they do in the movie. The idea is that when they're in the matrix, the spoon that they hold in their hand doesn't exist and therefore they should be able to manipulate it with their mind. They should be able to know that they can change the code at will and so they should be able to bend spoons with their mind because there is no spoon and this is practice for helping you believe what you know and as a hobby i've been dying into joke writing it's i don't know why is it so embarrassing to say i'm trying to write a joke but it is like (laughs) that's why i am so impressed with stand-up comedians because i just think it takes uh incredible willpower and incredible mastery to get up on stage and say, hey, everybody shut up. I'm going to be funny now and then actually be funny and get laughs. It's just incredible. I don't understand how it's done. Some kind of sorcery. But I've been studying comedians, reading books on how to write jokes, and I've been testing material on Twitter. Sorry, Twitter following. (laughs) But tons of failures, some progress, but the key is testing it. And the key to tests is feedback. One thing you hear over and over in the comedy world, you don't really know what's funny until you're on stage. You think you know what's funny, you think you know, but you can't believe it until you've heard the laughter. And lots of things you think are funny when you get on stage aren't, and some things you don't think are that funny are hilarious on stage. And the only way you actually get better is by testing it and hearing real feedback. I've become completely obsessed with this idea that you will not be able to master your craft without some kind of metric that tells you you're on to something or you're off and you need to go back to the drawing board and learn more and and as you learn, go out there in the real world and test it. So self-educate and find what metric measures your success in art form. If in, in comedy, it's laughs. In drama, it might be tears. Music, I don't know. My friend, uh, like I mentioned before, audio mastering engineer Chris Graham measures good music in goosebumps. Illustration, the best you might have is comments on Instagram. For me, every piece of work is a new hypothesis. I'm saying, is this good? Now, you have to be intelligent about the test. There, it's, it's not simple. There are low-hanging fruit, low-brow, easy jokes that might get laughs but ultimately won't take you where you want to go. That's why defining good is really important. It's super easy to move people with your movies if you're making porn. Like, But is that your definition of good? I'm not judging it. I'm just saying, is that the kind of moving? Are you playing on basic human instincts? Are you going to dive into something deeper? And so... Are you shooting for something that is uh, on a higher level? And the metrics and feedback require real wisdom to navigate. It's not as simple as this got the most likes on Instagram or this got, you know, you, you have to be a little bit smarter and more nuanced. And that comes from knowing what metrics you're trying to rate and, and the feedback you, you need to navigate it smart. And you need to be smart in the way you do that thing is what I'm trying to tell you, but don't allow the the wisdom that you need to navigate this thing 
stop you from navigating it at all. I think artists so often run from feedback and uh, and 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 run from this kind of metric and run from testing. But I honestly think, just like anything, you can practice basketball all you want, but it doesn't matter if it doesn't work in the game. And it, it, you go into the game, you use these new ideas, the new philosophies, the new things you learned online and in books, test them out in real time, see how they go, and then study the films, and then go back to the drawing board and train and learn more. The third thing, the ultimate thing that you have to do is see the code as it really is. At the end of the movie, Neo finally sees the Matrix just as pure computer code. And it's in this moment that he transcends and becomes everything that he can be. So what is the Matrix really? What's the simulation we're living in as creatives? I'd argue it's the myth of B to B. What does that mean? It means business to business. It means businesses that are serving other businesses and thinking that you're an artist that's working for a business, which is untrue. Like whether you're working for Urban Outfitters or Apple or whoever it is, you're not working for a business. There's Whether there's a middleman or not, your work is always, always, always for people. Your work's not for the New York Times. Your work is for its readers. Your work is not for Nike, it's for athletes. Your work is not for Nickelodeon, it's for kids. When you understand this, when you really understand it, and you understand and believe that you have a media company in your pocket, a TV channel in your pocket, you will start living in the truth. Your work is for people, and you have everything you need to make that work for them. You can learn the tricks of the trade, the craft, the guidelines, the hacks. If you self-educate, you can test them in real time online and ultimately make your work directly for the audience that it's for. And when you realize that there's nothing stopping you from the real purpose of making creative work, connection, impact, moving and touching and entertaining the people you care about most, you nothing will stop you. You don't need anything or anyone to believe in you. What, what you really, 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 really need is to stop making work for businesses and to start making work for people. I have friends that outright refuse to work with clients because they're afraid it will ruin this monogamous relationship that they have with their audiences by allowing in that third party. What I'm saying is this. When you're ready, you won't need to dodge bullets. <laughs> when you're ready, you may never want the corporate validation ever again. Now, I'm not anti-client. I'm not even anti-corporate. Just like robots, I think they're probably a powerful tool I just want to make sure that those tools exist for humanity and that humanity doesn't exist for them. When you don't need them to believe in you first, to believe in yourself, enough to learn Kung Fu, bend spoons and see the truth something surprising and inevitable happens. The world gets turned upside down. 
And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there, and I'll tell you how you're going to get up and fly in midair. In West Philadelphia, born in... (laughs) That's all right. I got sidetracked. Seriously, though, when you become a rogue who starts to create your own reality and it starts working, there will be proof. It's called social proof. It's the idea that when I started this podcast, even before I had hard numbers, I had soft social proof. BuzzFeed, Apple, and Design Sponge, they all featured the show. Then over time, I got hard social proof of the numbers of a big audience. This also shows up in social media, Instagram, all kinds of different things. When you make your best work for people and you show up and you connect again and again and again, there's going to be ripples, and these ripples are going to reach those gatekeepers that you were trying to impress in the first place. It requires patience, practice, and progress, but the social proof is worth its weight in gold. And it's funny, when you quit trying to find their approval and just start getting to the work, that's when somehow, magically, you get their approval. And the most tactical thing I want to share with you today is that when you notice that you're receiving some soft or hard social proof and you hang on to it, use it. It's the only verification you need. The only verification you need is that your work works. It connects with people. It touches people. And you have proof to show it. Sometimes it's at the beginning, it's often just soft social proof where some entity, some thing, some some result happens because you're showing up and doing the work and connecting and that will unlock the next layer and the next level until you have hard social proof straight up numbers that show the world your work works and it's the most valuable thing that you have in your career it's so much more valuable than a publishing deal or a record deal or a tv deal like this is the thing and it's it's interesting to me to watch stand up comedians versus comedic actors comedic actors are so at the mercy of the machine of of the taste of the public of oh do they think i'm in do they think i'm out are they going to give me another role whatever where stand ups have this resolve because they have the numbers they have the laughs per minute and no matter whether people's giving them roles or not or validating them or verifying them, they know they can show up on any day of the week, go to the club, and get laughs, get the social proof that proves they have got it. So, The thing that's the most interesting part of this whole equation for me is that when this happens, when you get this social proof, you'll see that the truth is they're not the gatekeeper anymore. In the reality that we're living in in 2018, you are the gatekeeper. Let me explain that real quick. See, in The Matrix, earlier I mentioned that all throughout the movie, the good guys have to run from the bad guys, the agents, or they face certain death. It's just the way it is, or at least that's what they think. You see, when I said it's just the way it is, your brain should have went, beep, no, that's not true. When Neo sees the code as it really is, he becomes so powerful that the tables turn and the agents run from him. When you self-educate, practice, get feedback, connect with real people, get the social proof to prove it, you become the gatekeepers. The agents no longer hold the keys. 
just stop and realize that the reality has fundamentally shifted in this moment in time, that it's never been a more important time to be a creator. Corporations, corporations and organizations are now at the mercy of you, the artist. It's no longer you who needs them to open the gate. It's them who need you. Just stay with me. I'm going to explain why this is true. Ads and marketing strategies and reviews online are no longer enough to build the kind of trust that businesses need to sell their products. They need to be verified and validated and approved by an individual who has already gained trust with an audience. Artists are the ones that can build these connections at scale and the artists hold the keys to connecting with these audiences and the brands know it and they're scared about it. They don't know what to do. They call it influencer marketing and it's one of the only types of marketing that works with big businesses anymore. And I say, call it whatever you want. You can call it influencer marketing or artists or creatives or creators or whatever. But this flip, in my opinion, has the potential to restore the balance of the force, which I know I'm mixing up movies here. Uh, but... Stick with me. When businesses are at the mercy of creatives approving or disproving them, everything changes. I realize that Disney historically is problematic in a lot of different ways, but so are most things from the past. Uh, and just set that aside for a second while I do this little thought exercise. I find it fascinating that Disney started with an artist at the top, Walt Disney, and a business person one step behind him. Did you know that Walt had a brother named Roy, and Roy's job was to deal with this crazy task of making his brother's wild dreams profitable. The artist's heart and the businessman's head combined forces to create something unstoppable and I'd argue that leading with the heart leading with art is the best way and with the shift that's going on now we have the potential to create a whole new system of checks and balances after Disney passed after Walt Disney passed it seemed like the company for a time was lost and it had lost its heart and it was all head it was all uh, it was all about making money and business and profit and it wasn't until from what I can tell from the outside John Lasseter shows up he's the head of Pixar and he shows he has the social proof with the success of Toy Story that leading with story and art has the potential to fix the company. Lasseter soon became the executive producer on almost every major motion picture that Disney's released since then. And since then, they've had box office success after box office success. And in my opinion, this is starting to regain the balance that they once had, but they still need to do a lot of work to kind of course correct what seems to be like such a friggin' crazy money-hungry machine. Why do I tell you this? Because your time is now. Our time is now. It's no secret. The world needs more heart. Unchecked, money-hungry progress is ruining the planet. But if you become the gatekeeper, if the artist becomes the gatekeeper, 
you can be part of a system of checks and balances that can at least course correct us a bit, at least get us back veering towards the right uh, path. When you hold the trust of an audience that a business wants to connect with, you decide if they're trustworthy, if they're a force for good, if they have your audience's best interests, interests at heart. And when you see a crappy business that wants to hurt you and our species, and, and you, can, you can look them in the eye and say, no, unverified, invalid, lame, thank you, next. At the end of the film, Neo's running from the agents again. He sees, and he, he hasn't seen the Matrix for what it is really. He hasn't really transcend as the true chosen one. And he makes a wrong turn. And he gets blasted with bullet after bullet after bullet from the head agent. And it makes me emotional just thinking about it because, because of the movie, because I love the movie and this is my favorite scene, and, it, and it's the moment where everything feels like it's lost. All their hopes and dreams are gone. And uh, it, it mostly makes me emotional because I've been on a mission to transcend the system for 10 years. And I felt those bullets hit me straight in the gut with explosive anxiety and stress. Boom, expensive healthcare. Boom, double taxes. Boom, recession. Boom, empty bank account. Boom, boom, boom. Down on the floor, down for the count. Especially in the few, the first half of this journey, there were so many moments where the system said, you are under our will. You will fall in. That's just the way it is. I've been there, I've fallen to the floor, and if you're on the floor right now, down for the count, ready to pack it up and accept the system and say that the system says the artist's destiny is on the floor, crushed under the boot of the system, and that's just the way it is, let me be your trinity. Trinity is the female lead of the movie, and when Neo dies after being lit up by this agent's round after round of bullets, she gives this seemingly dead guy, this seemingly dead Neo, a pep talk. And essentially she says, you are the heart. The system is dying without you. You can't be dead. You can't give up. Get up, Neo. Get up. You are the one. You're going to make it. There is no broomstick. There is no spoon. There is no shiny blue Instagram check mark. It's just code in a system. There's only you, the artist, ready for making connections with other humans through your work. And in this movie, this reality that we live in, in my book, every human is verified, validated, and approved. Get up. Start making stuff in the light of the truth. You don't need them. They need you. For some reason, I feel like I have to chime back in here real quick and just say, my point is this. Don't wait for the book deal to write your best book. Don't wait to uh, 
for their permission to make a kid's show. Make a kid's show for your kids. Make a kid's show for your your kids' friends. Make a, put, on a, put on something that moves and touches and entertains your friends and your family and do it with heart and do it with connection and do it with craft and get feedback. And don't, I'm, Andy, don't wait for the book deal to write your book. This is what I need someone to tell me two years ago. And once I started to really believe that I was a writer, whether they said I was or not, I started writing my best work. You have a media outlet and a media company in your pocket. They need you. You don't need them. You're validated. You're verified. Certified, approved by Creative Pep Talk. Thanks for listening. If you love Creative Pep Talk and it's had an impact on your creative career, there are a few ways you can support the show. You can review the show on iTunes. You can back the podcast financially at patreon.com slash creative pep talk. Or you can get some Creative Pep Talk merch at creativepeptalk.etsy.com. Thank you. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for editing this podcast and providing the beautiful soundtrack thanks to all of you guys for listening and until we speak again stay pepped up (laughs) 